Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. I'm with Andrew Nordstrom in our hotel room, his hotel room. My hotel room. At the Gaylord Opryland. We've got a nice balcony view of the Delta Atrium. And uh, just saw the riverboat go by. For fifteen dollars, you can ride in a little riverboat under this atrium. Is it fifteen bucks? Fifteen bucks. I was I was thinking about doing it, but it's like that thing doesn't even float. It like rolls on wheels and looks like it floats. Yeah, exactly. It, this hotel is absolutely beautiful, uh, but uh, the the it, there's nothing cheap here. Uh, yeah. My my shot of espresso, which which even at Starbucks they they charge you you know two bucks for. It's like four seventy five here or something like Ouch. that. It's, it's ridiculous. So, so Dell Didway came up to our table and talked to you, and then you introduced me to him. So, and it, it, there's something you don't know, I don't think, unless you've listened to the interview. Have you? N- no. So let me tell you something. Well, I was going to tell you ahead of time how how I went and got it because you oh, did, go I don't ahead. know. If, I don't so even know. I was wandering around the exhibit hall, and I came across a booth that had all these uh, kids' storybooks, and I have six nieces and nephews back home. And they all love reading. And, and so there were books and materials for all of them. It looked like they, they fit really well. And so I started talking to the, to the publisher. And they had all the authors there, too. And got them all signed. You know, got copies of them for my nieces and nephews. And, and then Dell comes up to me and just starts engaging me in conversation and, and starts chatting with me. And so then eventually I'm like, oh, this is a really cool guy. So then he fought, like, I, I said, you know, he starts telling me all these things, the sports stories and stuff like that. And I said, I think you got to talk to Matt. I mean, this guy just kind of felt like he was, you and me could like sit down and, and you know, sit in a, in a watch a sports game with him or something You like definitely that. could and talk to him forever. Yeah, because yeah. he's got all these really cool stories of interactions with, you know, athletes. And super cool in that, you know, he's, his, some of his stories are like, yeah, I went into the clubhouse to interview this player and he didn't want any any part of this interview until I said, "Well, I'm here to talk about your faith." And then he dropped everything. And, yeah, he talks know, about that with Albert Pujols. Pujols in the yeah, yeah, exactly. And some of that. So I'm like, I'm like, Matt's got to talk to this guy. Well, and then you introduced me to him and said, "I I only tell you one thing." He interviewed Aaron Judge, and I was like, oh, "Okay, I, you got my attention." I'm yeah. a Yankee fan. Well, here's the thing: is who else, knowing me the way you do? Yeah. Is there anyone else? outside of the Yankee or Hawkeye universe, who, if you interviewed this guy, would be like, uh, I want to hear more about this. Can you think of it? Oh, boy. The guy's first time, first big-time interview of his entire career, okay. Larry Bird. No. I was like, what? That's in the interview. You're kidding. And uh, he interviewed him two or three times, and it's not like Larry Bird is out like you know, being this big Christ follower guy, but I'm just a huge bird fan. Right. So I was like, what? You get to tell me this story. So it anyway, was, it was fabulous. Just to watch him scroll through his, his, pictures. his iPhone photos, you know, all these basketball guys, football guys, 
you know, pictures of him at the Super, you know, taking selfies from the Super Bowl press boxes. Yeah. Here. You know, just absolutely crazy. Anyway, he, he's done a lot of writing, uh, dev- little, like, sports-centered devotionals. Total cool story. He's an Ohio State sports fan. Sports-centered devotionals, not sports-centered devotionals. Ah, yes. He talked about um, a devotional that he wrote from different Ohio State players yeah. who shared their faith right. and, and how he got Jim Trestle. Yeah, he's a big Ohio State guy. To write yeah. the foreword for it. That, uh, that story, I, I heard that story already as I was starting to preview things. So, that's so that was a really cool story. But you're exactly right. He's the kind of guy who, if we were sitting down at some sports bar, Poor you know, me. watching the Big Ten tournament tonight, yeah. you would get distracted from the game yeah, and you just wouldn't listen wa- to him tell you stories. You wouldn't watch any of the game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which, uh, but But the cool thing is, as sports fans, you and I are, and and we've got cool sports stories and all that. Um, the fact that it, it merges, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, our, our tagline, inspiring stories from interesting Christians, it merges that with the sports world. Yeah, and that set it over the top for me. That was it was just one little cool story after another. This is of all the interviews I've done this week. This is the one that would I think would be the most lighthearted or. Yeah kind of superficial and i don't mean that in a bad way i just mean that we're just talking about sports and sports stars yeah not getting some big deep issue or some like right way trying you know circumstance right. but it'll be entertaining for people who enjoy and i think too from from how he was describing especially some of his books and from me looking up some of his books online where we include a in the show notes uh, a link to his amazon author page yeah so that people can see um, you know who that you know what books he's written, but if, if I think he he does go a little deeper in depth spiritual issues with some of these uh, some of the sports guys. If you know if people are interested and want to hear more, I think his books do go a little deeper. For sure, but yeah, the, today was kind of a, a, a sampling. A, a, it yeah. was it was a, a sampling of of kind of what he's about and what his material's about, and and that's going to be great for people to get to listen to. By the way, it's Dell Didway. French name spelled really weird. D U D U I T. Yeah. Didway. Didway. So you can find him or you'll see the link in yeah, the show notes. Check the link in the show notes. That's the quickest way. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the interview. Have a good one. Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. I am at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention 2022. We're in Nashville, and I'm with Dell Didway. Dell, thanks for being here today. Matt, thank you. This is exciting. So, uh, one thing I didn't understand or anticipate is how many interview requests I would get. This is our first year exhibiting. I've only been doing podcasts for a couple years. We've never done this at NRB, and honestly, there are a bunch of them that uh, you get requested for ahead of time that you're like, ah, this isn't really going to fit our audience. And what we did is we built in a little bit of space into our schedule for just some walk-up stuff that randomly happened. And you're one of those guys. Uh, we're going we're gonna to tell uh, your story, and um, you're a sports writer, uh, you're an author, and I'm doing this a little bit selfishly because I'm just into the stuff that you're into. So <laughs> thanks for being over here. And uh, what are you doing at NRB? Well, I'm, right now I'm helping Endgame Press, which is a new publishing house. They do traditional, they do Christian publishing. I'm just kind of helping them with awareness and some, I don't say marketing, but we're talking to uh, 
uh, people who are interested in, in either, either publishing themselves or, or buying books. So I'm doing a little bit of PR for them because uh, Vicki Dewerstock, the owner, I've known her for quite a while. She knows that I can. I have no problem walking up to people and talking to them, <laughs> as awesome. you can attest to that. And I, I just, I'm just helping her with some just awareness, and it's going really well. And this is a great you know, experience for you. Absolutely. Now, you are going to be going to work for the Billy Graham Evangelical Association here in a couple of weeks. What are you going to do with those guys? I'm excited for that. That's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I'm going to be called a, a regional uh, manager uh, for the East Territory. What I will be doing, and I'm kind of trying to grab my, ha- my head around this, they're actually going to pay me just to go talk to people, to, <laughs> to go talk to donors and to thank them and to love on them, not ask for money, That's but awesome. to, just to go talk to them, represent Billy Graham and and his mission and, and just love on people. And I just kept saying that you're going to pay me to go talk to people. <laughs> yes, I, oh, I can do that. So uh, it's, it's a great fit. It was something I've been trying to wanting to do something a little bit more. And this is just, it just, the timing was ideal and perfect as, as obviously by God. And, and, um, the opportunity was great. They flew me and my wife down for the a day and we got to go out to dinner with them. And we just, um, they want to make sure there is a right fit or right calling. So, uh, the thing that really caught my attention and Andrew Nordstrom, who's our technical director knows me well, I was doing a different interview. You walked up and you were talking to him and Andrew said, Matt, the only thing I'm going to tell you as a way of introduction to this guy and why you might want to be interested in interviewing him is, is that he has a cool story about interviewing Aaron Judge. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm paying attention now. I'm a Yankees fan, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit. Before we get into your sports writing and some just kind of fun stories about athletes mm-hmm. and, and your experiences, uh, just give us a kind of a overview of your faith walk. Like, where did you... Did you grow up in a Christian home? Have you always walked with Christ? Um, how have you viewed your role as a sports writer and an author as a calling or as being a, a kingdom work? Okay. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I grew up in a good home. We, we didn't go to church, but I, you know, good good family. You know, parents are hardworking people, good people. But they, you know, We didn't go to church a lot, maybe once a year. Um, good moral family, but... Uh, I was 16, and my brother had just had gone to church. He and his wife, and and they become saved. They got saved, and so my older brother, I'm, I'm the youngest of four. I uh, was 16, and he's they were going on their way to a um, to a revival, and they said, uh, "You want to go with us?" I said, "You know what? Sure." And, you know, it was kind of like that. I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll go." Like a Billy Graham thing, or what? No, just a local revival at, a, at the at the church we go to now. But it was just they just wanted me to go with them, so I did. I heard the message. And felt you know a little different. Felt some conviction. I, what I knew now is conviction. Yeah. And um, was getting out of the aisle to make way for some people who wanted to go to the altar. So I had to kind of move out of the way yeah. to, you know, to make way. And um, I kind of it wasn't like the Who concert, but I kind of got pushed up towards <laughs> the aisle a little bit. And um, I, I said, asked my brother. I said, should I get saved? Should I get saved? Should I pray? And um, he's like, do you want to? And I was like, I think so. And so um, we did. And I still didn't know what was going on. You know, but, and our pastor is a great guy. I mean, he's, he's passed now, but he was a wonderful man. Loved soul winning man. He got down with me and says, so is everything okay? And I said, yeah. He said, so did you pray the sinner's prayer? And I, I, I think so. So you're saved. I said, I, I think so. You know, I'm still kind of, it was all new to me. 
And he's like, oh, hallelujah. He's and so everybody starts congratulating me. You know? And I'm like, okay, I did something right here. And so I just kind of said, okay. It still didn't really feel it. You know what I mean? It still was yeah. like, eh. So I did the right things all the time. And, but I never felt that, that feeling everybody was feeling. So a little bit of time went by, and I kept seeing people like run the aisles and raise their hand. I'm like, or they would get up and testify. Hey, I, God told me this. I'm like, I, I've never had. Yeah. I don't, you know. But am I missing something, or is this it? Or they put on a show? Right. So right. I kind of went down that road a little bit, and then finally, after after some time, I had a long conversation with my wife. I said, I don't feel what you guys feel. Yeah. You know, and and, I, and it bothered me. Yeah. You know, and I thought because I was doing the good things, you know, I was still I was a we had a I was doing a puppet ministry for you know young kids and like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I told my wife for a long time about. It. I said, How do you hear feel God? How do you hear Him? I said, I don't. I wasn't mad. I was just confused. And so one evening, I was actually by myself, and I just I got down on my on my, in, on my couch, and I just said, I I, I want to feel what these people feel, and why are why don't I feel this, God? Why haven't you taken this from me? And blah blah blah. Yeah. And um, and it hit me, and I I honestly feel like I I felt the Lord. I heard Him say, "You keep wanting me to take things from you. Try giving them to me." Because uh, if I'm wanting to take something, then I'm wanting to hold on to it. Yeah. So I said, yeah, that makes sense. Here, here's my sin. Here's my yeah. burdens. Take yeah. them. Yeah. You know, I give them to you. Yes. Freely. And, and that's when I, I have to, like the light switch went off. Wow. And that's when I felt like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so so that, was, uh, that was my experience with that. One of the things, this is a little bit of a digression, but one of the, for the sake of the audience, one of the things that I talk about quite a bit is... I mean, I, I was raised in a Christian home. I would say I gave my life to Christ or I made a personal commitment. Sometime in junior high, I have a remembrance of a situation at a Bible camp where I definitely had kind of a personal commitment of faith. But since then, I've done that a lot of times. And, and there are times, you know, and you know this, you've been walking with the Lord for a while, where we were like, man, I don't know if I was saved before this. You know, like you learn something or you grow in some way or you're convicted in some way. And so there are people who I think a lot of people walking around who wonder if I'm really saved and maybe sometimes doubt if they're saved. And so the little kind of filter that I run them through is uh, John 1.12 says to those who believe, yeah. received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so I just ask myself, have I believed him? Have I received him? Yes, I have. Well, then I'm a child of God. Romans 10.9 says, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And so then I kind of run myself through that. Yeah. Do I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord? Yes, I do. Do I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead? Yes, I do. I believe that I'm a sinner. I need his righteousness, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of go through all that and I go, whether I feel it or not, mm -hmm. I am saved. Right. On the merits of what scripture says it means to be saved. Right? Yeah. I, I, uh, yes. I, the only reason I interjected that is because I, I can imagine people listening to your story going, yeah, mm -hmm. I've been there before. Mm -hmm. How do I know if I'm actually saved? Right. Right? So now you became, uh, now I want to spell your name right because you've written <laughs> a bunch of books and people are going to maybe want to look up your name and we'll put links in the show notes, but it's Del Didway, D-U-D-U-I-T. This must be French. It is French, yes. Didway, Del Didway. So, um, how did you come to the place where you became an author, 
and a sports writer. Okay. Sports writer happened right out of college. And is, I, I, I Where knew, did you go to college? I went to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. And then we, we, we live in Portsmouth, Ohio. And there's a, there's a little university down there called Shawnee State University. My wife works there now. But got out of college when I, I knew the, uh, the AD, the athletic director, pretty well. Was hanging out down there trying to find something you know, out of college. And he introduced me to this local sports editor. And who said, you know, maybe you can help him keep stats. So I went over to help him keep stats and things like that. And that developed. He's like, hey, we need somebody to cover some games. Can you do that? I said, yeah, I never. Sure, I'll do it. And so I did that. And he said, can you start writing some? So it was just basically fell in my lap, right? And and I started doing that, and I loved it. Funnest job. I'm, I'm, you know, in my mid 50s. Still, the funnest job I've ever had was a sports writer for a local paper. And um, I started in, in Athens. Ohio? No, it was, it was in Portsmouth, Ohio, Portsmouth. for the, the Portsmouth Times. And so they brought me on full time after about like three or four months. They said, "Hey, we, you know, you're doing a good job. You want you want a full time job? Yeah, I love that." So um, spent the next several years covering local high school games and just writing, telling people about it. I thought this is wonderful. This is a great, greatest job ever. And then kids came along, and, and uh, financially it was rough. You know, sports yeah. writers don't make a lot of money. So uh, stayed stayed in the media. Uh, got into radio and television, and then was introduced into pharmaceutical sales, which I, I did because it's a lot of money. I did it, hated it. I did that for 17 years, hated the pharmaceutical industry. Were you good at it? Yes, I was very good at it. I won several awards. I won awards as a sports writer. I won uh, Associated Press uh, awards as a as a writer. My first big interview was Larry Bird. I, I, what? Uh, yeah, that was my uh, first. Now, my, here's the thing. Yeah. If, if you'd have told Andrew that, that would have got my attention way more than Aaron Judge. <laughs> Larry Bird's my favorite yeah, was mine too. athlete of all time. Mine too. I had I had three people that in one knee sport that I that I loved watching. Bird was in basketball. I loved watching Pete Rose in baseball. Yep. And Stallback. Yep. I grew up a Cowboys fan because of the of the image, America's team, that kind of stuff. And so I I interviewed Larry three or four times. Uh, you you got to okay, keep telling your story, but we're coming back to Larry Bird because I okay. want some Larry Bird stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So I uh, interviewed Larry two or three times over the, you know a couple of years and then um, was able to have dinner with Pete Rose. And so I interviewed Pete. And then I never got to meet Roger after all these years. And so uh, I was at the Super Bowl 52 up in, Mini- up in Minneapolis. And uh, I'm done with my interviews. It's been a, you know, a long morning. And that it, was recently, right? Yeah, it was like four, five, four, four or five years ago, yeah. yeah. Uh, Patriots and the, and the uh, Eagles. Okay, yeah. And so I'm, I'm done with my interviews. I'm looking down the hallway because you know, they do the interviews up on the second floor where there's no fans, right, because fans are, are, can be crazy. And I looked down the hallway. There's a guy walking by himself. I said, that guy who? I said, oh, my gosh, that's Roger Stallback. And so I uh, got to go. For the first time, I acted like a fan. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Roger. So um, <laughs> I walked up. I said, we talked to him for a little bit. And so so I got to check all of them, all three of the guys I liked as a kid. Got to check Mark off Roger at that point. So I did all three of them. So, yeah. that's a, so um how have you been able to integrate your faith with your work? That, that's, that's a great question because in the past, I, even as a, when I felt God you know, finally come in my life, when I asked him, um, doors started opening. And I, not doors I was going after, but they just started opening. So I would, I would start writing um, for uh, Sports Spectrum magazine. I remember that. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I, I, I interviewed um, Andy Pettit. I interviewed Andy Dalton for these guys. Yeah. And so uh, that opened some doors. And then I started to uh, do some work for like Clubhouse, focus on the family. Yep. Started writing, and then I went to a writers' conference, and um, 
I was interested, and I never, ever wanted to write a book, ever in my life. It was never on my bucket list, yeah. ever. And this was five years ago, so I, um, I met my agent, who's, who's now my agent. I met him at this conference, who played for the, the team up north, University of Michigan, because yeah. I'm a Buckeye. <laughs> and um, they knew my sports background a little bit. So this one publisher pitches me an idea. He's like, you ever thought about like sports devotions? And I thought, no, I never have thought about those. Because I was down there to pitch something else. I, I, yeah. I, I'd written this other story, but they didn't like, not that they didn't care about that. It didn't appeal to them. So this publisher pitches me the idea of these sports devotions. And, I, and it was, okay, so I went back home and ran with it. They didn't really, we didn't have a plan. So I, I still had my press passes. So I would start going to talk into players of faith. Yeah. And I, you know, I talked to, um, you know, Ben Zobras of the Cubs and yes. and Michael Lorenzo of the Reds and then, and, 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 uh, Dozier, who played for the Twins then, and just all these, and so um, I started putting these stories together, and um, talked to my agent about it, and uh, they just it just developed like that. So the, the books, like Dugout Devotions one and two, aren't about baseball; they're about everyday stories that you and I can relate to through these players who tell their stories yeah. of something they may have struggled with. Can you give me an example off the yeah. top of your head? One of my favorite ones is chapter one, actually, of, of Dugout Devotions, Brian Dozier, uh, who had a great career with the, with the Twins, all-star second baseman. Um, he was uh, Mississippi State, and he was uh, going into his last year, his senior year. He knew he was going to be a good bet for the draft. He's thinking, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to go, the, you know, I'm probably going to get drafted. So he stayed, he opted to stay and finish his degree and play his final year and try to get a World Series. So he's in spring training, getting ready for the season, makes a play, shatters his shoulder, shatters his collarbone. And he has eight pins put in his collarbone. And he's thinking, what the, What in the world did I do? What must, you know, I could have gone to the pros easily. Yeah. Now I busted up my shoulder. Why did God do this to me? Exactly. He said he struggled with that. He said he was really discouraged. Like, I, you know, now my career, my, my life goal was in jeopardy because I – wanted to stay so he said but the blessing out of that he said you know he didn't know what was in store for him but that year when he was on the bench with pins in his shoulder he said he became a leader that year because he had to encourage players he had to help them he had to become a coach basically that was a tool he never developed he never did he said i became a leader that year then he obviously went on doing it. Was drafted and twins. Let you know, a great career with 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 Minnesota. Then he ended up with in a, in in Washington. But he said that that year he knew why he went through that then, but he didn't know it at the time. So yes. by the, the 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 point of that chapter is you're going to go through trials, struggles. You're going to question God. Why is this happening to me? You're going to find out. Yeah. But keep going. Don't give up. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. And so uh, let's get into some stories of some specific athletes now. Judge, you mentioned the no. team up north. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm a Big Ten guy. I'm, we're Hawkeye fans. So. I'm, a, I'm a Buckeye. And uh, and I don't hate the Buckeyes, and I and I don't hate Michigan. I do hate Wisconsin. I understand. But but uh, <laughs> the reason I don't hate Ohio State is because I'm a Yankee fan. So so I get what it's like to be at the top of the food chain. Yeah. And all the haters, it's like we're good. I mean, what do you want me to do? My my favorite thing people say. Uh, all the Yankees do is buy championships. It's like, well, isn't that the point? I mean, this is called professional baseball. It's a business. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, team up north. Something that's recently been in the news. The Big Ten, the Big Ten tournament's going on right now. Um, Hawkeyes play this afternoon or tonight. I can't. I, I'm, I've been so busy, yep. busy with these interviews. I can't remember. Um, 
Juwan Howard, <laughs> the Michigan. What in the world? How did he not get fired? Don't you think he should have been fired? In my opinion, yes. I mean, Woody Hayes got fired when he punched the player. Remember that? Yeah, and uh, the dude had pads on. Like, he, oh, yeah. he jacked a coach in the side of the head. Yeah. I, I mean, I can speculate. I, I, I probably know why, but uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, um, I'm not there. I think uh, people, maybe they observe forgiveness, which is a great thing. The second chance, you know, God's a God of second chances. But, I mean, he had that meltdown with Turgeon. He uh, did. So he had his second chance. He did have a second chance. That's an excellent point. I'd love to ask him that. So here's something that spun out of that. I've been in a, in a heated debate, maybe not heated, yeah. with some of my friends about the handshake line. So I'm a basketball coach, high school, small 1A Christian school, not consequential at all right. in, in the terms of sports. But my take on it is we're trying to use this as a tool to develop men. And if you can't do a handshake line, I understand it's fierce competition. Yeah. I understand there's a lot on the line. I understand there's a lot of money involved, yeah. um, even at the college level. But if you can't cool your head and do a handshake line with your opponent, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And we've got sports commentators on all sides of this, but some of them are saying we need to get rid of the handshake line. I'm thinking that's just a capitulation to a culture that we don't want to become more like. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, there's no gratitude for anything anymore. You know, there's no, hey, this was okay. Let's, let's you know, we were in battle together. Or, uh, if, if they can't handshake, let's just let's just part ways and not even do anything but to get in, a, in an altar and, and hit somebody it was just um, well, and, uncalled and for. The other side of that is, and I've had some friends bring this up and I, well, I want to hear some Larry Bird stories here in a second <laughs> but uh, like Larry Bird in the NBA, I, I tell people I haven't really paid attention closely to the NBA mm. since like Bird and Johnson and Jordan have been yeah. gone it's a different game. It is. And, but Jordan was one of these old school guys like he might have been a guy who didn't want to do the handshake line because Bird, I mean, they hated each other. They did. And it was pretty fierce. And so I get that. But it's like, just man up mm-hmm. and shake your hand. Anyway, Larry Bird. Yeah. Or you're going to say something yeah, else? Yeah, I, I totally agree. The, the NBA is different now. Um, I don't really watch it anymore. I just can't stand to stomach it. Um, it has changed. Back then, basketball was basketball. And you had guys like Bird and, and Jordan and Johnson. And, and the Lakers and Celtics hated each other. But, but in a different way, it was competition. It, and so the game's changed so much now where everybody's everybody's buddy. Yeah. And they, Trading jerseys after the game. Yeah. And so uh, with Larry, yeah, he, he backed up what he could talk, too. That was the big thing about Larry. He talked. Uh, he was a trash talker, but he backed it up. And so now here's the thing. This is a podcast for a Christian ministry. Yes. And we're going to talk about Larry Bird. I have no idea where he's at. The point of that isn't to uh, – hold Larry Bird up as some spiritual mentor and I I mean I've actually I'm a huge Larry Bird fan and I've read a lot and I've watched a lot and I've observed a lot and there are some things that he's said that have led me to believe that he has a softness to the gospel somewhere he was raised with some of it it's not our job to be the arbiters of that or judge that I just wanted to put that out there like we're going to talk about Larry Bird just because I'm a Larry Bird fan not because necessarily we want to be the pastor of our church or something. Right. I think obviously Larry grew up in Indiana, a very rural area, the, uh, right in the Midwest. So I believe he was exposed to the gospel, obviously, because in that area, 
you know, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky is a lot of churches everywhere preach the gospel. Kind of so, the top end of the Bible Belt. It right? is. So I'm, I'm sure he was probably, of course, his father committed suicide yep. when he was young. So he did, and they were poor. So he had a tough life. Um, I don't have any examples of him ever professing a faith, but that doesn't mean he does or doesn't. I've just never right. seen that side of him. Yeah. So uh, I'm not at that point. I've never had that discussion with him. What was yeah. the circumstance of your interviewing him, like the first time? First time I was I was a sports writer for our, our, our local paper, and I was a Bird fan, or Celtics fan, and, and uh, back in the 84, yeah, that era when basketball, that was one of the greatest teams ever, was 84, 86 Celtics. So I just wanted to go to a game because I knew I could get press passes. I can go to the game for free, sit and watch the game and talk to the players afterwards. So I was like 22 years old. So I drove to Cleveland. The first one was, was uh, the, the, the Cavs. And so I went up to Cleveland. And um, so it was my first big interview. So I would, didn't know what to expect or what to do, really. But I knew I could go into the um, – I knew I, I could go in, in the clubhouse. I walked in the clubhouse a couple hours before the game and, and – uh, and there's McHale and everybody, and, and so I, I walk, turn around the corner, and there's Bird sitting at his stall getting his ankles taped. I saw this, you know, a little nervous in the first time, right? And so and it's um, Larry Bird. I mean, it's Bird. if you're 22, you're probably a little bit starstruck. I was a little that, and I was a little nervous because I'd never really spoken to a, to a, a man of that stature before. And I, just, I called him Mr. Bird. I said, Mr. Bird, you got you got a minute? Here's, and, and I knew his reputation with the media wasn't that great either. Right. I knew he could bite my head off. So I just said, Mr. Bird, you have, a, you have a second. I'd like to talk to you. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, i got a couple of minutes. I'm like, holy cow. He said, pull, he said, pull up a chair. Wow. So, so, I, so I pulled up his little chair. And, I, and my publisher told him to ask him about the, the Santa Claus course. It was a golf course, the Santa Claus course. So I asked him about that. I said, what's your experience on the Santa Claus course? And he, he, he grinned and giggled. He goes, I've never had that question. <laughs> so, what is the Santa Claus course? It, it's just a golf course. In Indiana? In or? Indiana. So he's like, yeah. So he started talking to me. So that kind of lightened the icebreaker. So, so we started talking about basketball after that point. So, yeah, it kind of, not to say disarmed him, but, you know, got him off to a good – he wanted to talk about that. So, Did you learn something from that? Like no, no. To, to ice break with something that's yeah. off topic a little bit? Yeah. It kind of you know, it depends on the situation. But, yeah, sometimes, like, after a game, you don't do that because they want to get in and get out and talk about the game and what happened. Before the game, you can do that. Prior to the game. Interesting. They have some more time. You know, getting ready, they have a little bit of time, so you can do some you know, break the ice yeah. a little bit. Um, sometimes, it, most times, that, that works. Yeah, who have been a couple of your favorite? I mean, that had to be highlight to interview Baird several times. Yeah, I mean, Larry three or four times. Did uh, you get any tidbits from him that were like, "Whoa, that's that's my a, Larry Bird moment"? Don't ask a dumb question. I didn't ask a dumb question. I've seen him react to a dumb question. Like, give me an example of a dumb question. I don't remember the question, but it was a they there was an Indiana and. Uh, Bird had to take the game over the Pacers, and he hit uh, he hit uh, four um, four straight buckets, and then he hit a three, and uh, and I, I remember his last shot was this fadeaway from like 16 feet, and so um, well, the guy asked him, he said, "What was going through your mind during that shot?" <laughs> and he said, "I was going to make it." And he's like, next question. <laughs> you know? And so I thought, don't ask that's a dumb question. That's a dumb, dumb question. question. That's a dumb question. What was going through your mind when you took that shot? He goes, I was going to make this shot. <laughs> he said, why else would I take it? <laughs> Did you ever uh, do anything with Bob Knight? No, I never got. But my friend who I wrote the book with, uh, Heart of a Hoosier, she's, uh, she's over at Endgame Press. Um, she, knows, she knows Coach Knight. And her dad was a, was a writer, so they got to, he covered Bob Knight. She was at the at the game when he threw the chair. Oh my! And so we wrote a book on Heart of a Hoosier, 
it's a motivational book about Indiana basketball. And we were, she was like, should we put that in there? I said, we have to put it in there. You can't deny it. And so I took that moment of him throwing the chair and turned it to an inspirational, positive moment. How? Oh, my God. It took me a while because we knew she gave him a copy of the book. And he's not doing real well health-wise. Yeah. And so I took that moment. I relived the moment, obviously. And it, it, to me, I... I I, I, I not idolized. I looked up to Bob Knight as a great man, a great coach. He demanded perfection. Now, not perfection on the court, but effort. Demanded yeah. effort. Yeah. And I liked the way he treated his players. Some folks got a little frustrated with it. I mean, he, you know, was a little rough with them, but that's fine. He was a military guy. So I, I, I lived that moment, and I said, you know what? This one moment will should never define anybody. This one moment should not take away all the good he's done he did you know wasn't the best option but he did it to get his players fired up he did it for the right reason but the wrong thing to do mm-hmm. and so I, t- I said you know in, in life you're going to face those moments are you going to throw a chair or are you going to you know rethink that before you let it go be like if you hit send on a nasty email are you going to regret that yeah you know think about it first and and if you have hit send or if you have thrown the chair like there's yeah. life after that. There is, and Th- you can there's rebound. Redemption, there's redemption. And I and I said that. So I and and Michelle read it and loved. It. She, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I said, yeah, exactly. So I still said I loved Bob Knight. I loved his what he did for the as for players and a coach and things like that. I said, it, it, did he have a bad moment, a bad judgment? Yeah, it was like six seconds. I'm the same way. I, I love Bob Knight. Yeah. I love Bob Knight, which again in Christian circles isn't terribly popular to say because the guy was. Uh, <laughs> But, but the thing about Knight is that he was just, uh, he was who he was. You got what you got. And, and one of the things that is a, a huge pet peeve of mine is just fakeness. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. And yeah. there's a lot of that in Christian circles. I see all that. And there's a lot of people, honestly, Jesus talks about this, the whitewashed tombs. There's a lot of people who are checking the right boxes on the outside, yeah. but their hearts are far from the Lord. Um, and so I would rather take a guy whose heart is far from the Lord. Now, I'm not judging Bob Knight. I don't know where he's at. But I'd rather take somebody, hypothetically, whose heart is far from the Lord, who acts like their heart's far from the Lord, rather than somebody whose heart's far from the Lord who dresses up and goes to church on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? I, exactly what I, you're saying. I respect that. So I, I would, when I would interview these players for my books, I would do a lot of research on them just for that reason. I would look at the Twitter pages. I would look, you know, social, find articles about them. I've only had a couple examples, and I won't say who they were with, with folks who would, players who would post spiritual things on, on their uh, social media. And I went down to one gentleman in, in, the, in the locker room be, before the game and I said, hey, I want to talk about your faith a little bit. And he says, my what? I said, your faith. I said, I, I see a lot of you know, postings of, you know, I believe in God, thank God, and stuff like that. I said, you know, do you? Do you profess a faith? And he said, no, nah, man. He said, that just looks good. I said, wow. so you, I said, so you don't? He goes, no, I don't. I said, well, thank you, because I, I don't, you know. Wow. I said, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I said, I'll talk to you, but I'm not going to include in the book. But we had a good discussion. Now, there was another instance, um, talking to a very well-known player, and a, a friend of mine had told him that he led him to the Lord when he played Little League. He mm-hmm. said, go talk to him. Tell him I said hi. I said, great. So I go down and find him, and we talk, and I said, such and such says, hi. He goes, oh, I love that guy. He, you know, I said, I just saw him like 20 minutes ago. And he said that, you know, you, that he led you to the Lord and helped you with the prayer. He goes, yeah, he did. I said, you want to talk about that some? He goes, you know what? I don't live that life now. 
but um, so he's just honest about. But he was very. But he said, "I don't live that life now." But 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 thank you. I said, "You know, you still can." He goes, "I he is, I know. Thank you for stopping by." He said, "You we can chat." But he said, "I, I don't I don't live that life now." But he was very open about it, and it wasn't mean. He was very sincere about it. Yeah, and which, I said, which I respect that. And he said, you know, and I when I told him, you know, you can get back. He goes, I know that. So, who knows what the Lord does with that? Exactly. So I planted a seed maybe there. I don't know, but he, he's yeah, he's aware. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've seen both sides of those, and I've been told to go talk to some players, and I hear them. I'm not judging anybody, but I, I hear them talking in the locker room, and and um, when they get past three or ten F-bombs, I kind of leave. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I okay. make my own discernment on that part. <laughs> yeah. Say, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so, you're at Ohio, you're in Ohio, you're an Ohio State fan. Yes. Um, I mean, what have been some of your experiences covering the Buckeyes and from a faith perspective? Jim Tressel was a professing believer. Jim Tressel was a stand-up guy. I did not know Jim Tressel, right? So, I wrote my first my first published book was called Buckeye Believer, 40 Days of Devotions for the Ohio State Faithful. So I, we're getting ready to, uh, and I'll try to keep this short because it's, it's a really fascinating story. I wanted somebody, I was an unpublished author. I'm a nobody, right? So I'm thinking, I, you know, I don't have any, any pull with anybody, but I wanted somebody big on the book. But I didn't know anybody. So I reached, I called up to Youngstown State because I know Jim Trussell, I heard his reputation was a classy guy. So I, I call up there, get his his uh, executive admin because he's the president of Youngstown, his former Buckeye coach, and you know, obviously led him the title in in, in '02. So, um, or twelve, yeah, twelve, sorry. And um, I, I get her voicemail, so I leave her a message. And about a week later, I call her back, leave another message. I'd like to talk to Jim Trussell, blah 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 nothing so third time I called she actually answers the phone this time and her name's Cindy I said Cindy this is Dale oh yeah 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 I'm so, I, I've been out of town I got your messages you know what would you like so I told her I said I'd like to talk to Coach Tressel I said I know he's a busy guy he doesn't know me this is what I'm trying to do and I explained it she goes okay interesting so the next day I'm driving through through town and my phone rings and I pick up and I answer hello he goes hi this is Jim Tressel how can I help you I said <laughs> okay this is I said thank you for calling back and I wrote a blog about that called Hi, This is Jim Tressel. And, um, That's awesome. Yeah, so I told him what I was wanting, and he said, well, send me some chapters. Let me look at it. What said, were you, you were wanting him to what? I was wanting him to either endorse it, something to that nature. You, know, you just wanted his name or some big Ohio State name on, on it. On saying, yeah, I read this book. I love it. Yeah. Just something, yeah. right? And so he says, well, send me some chapters. So I did. Uh, and again, same thing. Never heard from him for like a week or two. Uh, I wasn't going to bother him because, you know. Yeah. So about a week later, I sent him another text. Hey, Estelle, do you, what, what'd you think? Nothing. I do it again about a week and a half later. Nothing. So I figured, you know what? Two weeks go by. I thought, you know, I'm going I'm to do it on, on a different day. I'm going to send him a text on a Saturday. I sent him on Saturday morning. Within five seconds. Oh, Dale, sorry, I forgot. Thanks for, for reminding me. I'm on it. Okay. So... Uh, and then a few more weeks go by, and then my publisher calls me and said, Dale, we're getting ready to go to press soon. We need to know yay or nay on, on Jim Tressel. Mm-hmm. Which I, I get it. Uh, so I called Cindy back. Hey, I'm trying to get on Coach Tressel. I know he's a busy guy. We just need to, you know, if he doesn't, I understand. We just need to know yay or nay. Yeah. And she's, okay, okay, I'll, I'll tell him. And that was on a Friday. The next day, I'm at the Michigan State-Ohio State game. And I get a text 
Jim Trestle. You're like covering it as sports yeah, report. Yeah, yeah. So I get a text, Jim Trestle. Dell, love it. I'll do it. I said, okay, what will you do? <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay. And um, I, so I said, what will you, what? And he says, what do you want me to do? I said, it'd be great to write the forward. I'll do it. Wow. I said, oh, I said, great. So I was excited, called my publisher. And so on Monday, I called Cindy again. I said, Cindy, thank you. Thank you because without none of this, without you, none of this would have happened. Yes. Because she was my go-between. And she goes, oh, that's all right, Dale. And, and so I actually I acknowledged her in the book to thank her for yeah. her work. Yeah. And she says, anything else you need? And I was, I, went, uh, I mean this sincerely, I was kidding. I said, a picture would be great. And she said, come up tomorrow at 3 o'clock. I said, okay. <laughs> so I drove, took the day off, drove to Youngstown. Uh, met with Jim. We went over the forward. We took pictures. We did videos. Wow. And, yeah, this is my first book. i never been published, and he wrote the forward to my book. Wow. Because there was a couple of them he really loved. The, the one he really liked was, um, I mean, he liked them all, but one of the devotions he liked was, do um, you remember Beanie Wells? Beanie Wells was a great running back at Ohio State. He was, his, he was, his trademark was a stiff arm. He could stiff arm a truck, yeah. right, and just throw it down. So I gave examples I, of... I thought that was pretty much every Ohio State player. But. Uh, Beanie Wells was the, the king of, of the stiff arm. Okay. And so I gave examples, a couple examples of when he uh, was in the national t- championship game with LSU. They lost that game, but he threw a guy like five yards off of him. And it was, everybody was like, oh my gosh, this is Superman, you know. He threw a defender forever. And I gave two or three examples of when he gave the stiff arm. And then I defined what a stiff arm was. And then as a believer, as a follower, you're going to have the enemy come to try to tackle you. And this is the way to stiff arm the devil. This awesome. is what you need to do. And I gave examples, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. This thing. And Trestle's like, I love, I love this. He goes, I've never seen this kind of stuff. And another one was he, that he liked was when, um, if you've ever seen Script Ohio. Yeah, like I have. It, yeah. I went to an Iowa game there. Isn't it amazing? Let me call time out and just yeah, please describe do. this. Um, they do Script Ohio at every game now. They used to not. Hmm. Am I right? Right. And uh, If they're there, yes. I'm at an Ohio State-Iowa game in Columbus by myself. My wife mm-hmm. and my mother-in-law and one of our kids, we're on our way to or from Washington, D.C. for a two-week thing that we did out there. And I'm just like, i got to go see the Hawkeyes play at the Horseshoe. Yeah. They got killed that day. But I'm there by myself. And um, I get there early, take in the sights, all this stuff. First time I was ever at the Horseshoe. And... I'm standing next to this couple, and they've got this, like, way nice camera with this huge lens, and, like, like get to talking to them before the game. I'm like, so what are you doing? Their son was dotting the eye. Oh, that's a, that's a huge tradition. It's a huge thing. Honor. And Big so, honor. So the, there's always a sousaphone player or a tuba player, whatever tuba. it is, yep. who dots the eye in Ohio. So it's script Ohio. It's Ohio written out in mm. cursive script, and the marching band does it. And Kinnick Stadium, Iowa City, great atmosphere for college football. I mean, it's still, mm-hmm. there's no place I'd rather be. To take a quote from Larry Bird, no place I'd rather be than <laughs> Kinnick Stadium instead of French Lick. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, I do remember <laughs> and that. So, and so, uh, but but as soon as the first member of the band hits the field, I mean, the entire, mm. first of all, everyone's in there for this. Yes. Like this way before the game. Yeah. And everyone's on their feet and they're clapping and it, it was awesome. It was really awesome. To watch that band come and, out. And, the, uh, and his incredible. family. I mean, you would have thought that this kid just got elected governor of Ohio. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a huge honor. Like, the mom is in tears. Like, every, their whole family's mm-hmm. around. And this is like, 
this guy's our son, dotting the I. And it was even more special because out of the seven home games, they only do it back then. They only did it like maybe two or four times a season. Right. And, and they, I don't think the crowd knew ahead of time if they were going to do script Ohio, you know, but like the right. band did and, and the families. I don't, I, that was a really cool tradition. Yeah, it, 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 people love it because it does get everybody fired up. So, and, and I, in fact, a, a little history lesson. The, the first script Ohio was not performed by the Ohio State Marching Band. It was performed by Michigan. Did the first script Ohio. Wow. So I, I, you know, went over, I described the script Ohio and, you know, if the, if the drum major who's leading it gets off, you know, he gets out of step or whatever. It could be like a domino effect. It could fall apart, right? It could be crazy. But to watch it in perfection is 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 amazing. Well, they, they got guys crossing like yeah. in step. Yeah, to the beat. So my point on that was after I described Script Ohio in a little history lesson, I said the book was meant for fathers or young men. I said you as a father, you're going to lead your Script Ohio, and if you get out of step, uh, you could really mess up the band and the band being your kids. So you need to walk step and step and follow and you, and your kids are going to follow you so I make sure that. yeah and he, and he loved that one and so he's like I'll gladly write your forward so we, we wrote the forward together there and uh, we did some pictures and videos and that's how we kept, became kind of friends that way it was that awesome. is way cool yeah um, any other Big Ten not yet. Stories? Well, no, not really. We did a book called Michigan Motivations. I had to write it with my agent who played for Michigan. That was really rough for me to write. <laughs> and I had to, but I learned a lot of, I would research the, the program. And so that was out a couple of years ago. But that's more of a motivational book about Michigan football because I had to write it. Cause Instead he, of like spiritual, you mean? Right. It's more of a motivational, inspirational book because this publisher who published that one wanted a devotional basically without scripture because ah. it was general market. Got it. So. Yeah, that's what they wanted. So we were able to, we were able peppered it a little bit here with references yeah. and some, you know, according to scripture, you should do this. So we got it in there, but it's not the focal point. Yeah, got it. Um, so you've done a bunch of sports reporting. Like I said, the thing that got my attention from Andrew to you <laughs> is Aaron Judge. Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite player of all time, who you said you interviewed, was Mariano Rivera. Yeah. I, Mariano Rivera is probably my favorite athlete of all time in any sport. A, because of how dominant he is. I mean, without question, by far, yeah. the best closer of all time. You could argue, well, closer shouldn't even be a position. I mean, like the baseball purist is like, I know. there's a bunch of pitchers back in, in the older days who would have been great closers, too. They just never had the chance. Bob Gibson would have been a great one. Right. <laughs> uh, but I also love him because of just his genuine faith. And I mean, he is about the Lord, and that's what he's totally about. And I've... I've talked to people who know him well, and they're like, that's the real deal. Like, a lot of these people, you even see this in Christian music and in even Christian mm -hmm. celebrities mm -hmm. who are kind of fake, kind of frauds. But Yeah, I but, see it. But when you hear a guy like my favorite baseball player who claims it and walks it, that's, you know, that's cool. You know within two minutes of talking to Mario or where he stands, he doesn't preach at you, but he gets it in there. Yeah. So you know right off the bat, if you don't know, if you've never met him or heard of him, and he comes up and talks to you, you're going to know his faith. What he's about. Yeah, ex immediately. So when did you get to interview Mo? <laughs> it was uh, spring training, when I forget the year. It was down there with Pettit. It was, uh, I was doing a piece for uh, Sports Spectrum. I was going to interview Andy Pettit. Yep. About, uh, it was actually a great interview with Andy, and uh, we can get to that. But um, 
was about his involvement with HGH, and it was the year after he had to make a public apology. Andy. Yeah, yeah. Andy Pettit. And he was very open about it. We talked about that. Human growth hormone. Yes. Illegal. Yeah. It, performance it, enhancing At growth. the time, they were not illegal. Right. At the time he took them, for three days, they were not banned. So he got all this hot water over something that was not banned. Yeah. And he had to make a public apology. And we talked about that because it was about his what he went through and how he dealt with it. Because he had the whole world come down on him. He had to, you know, the New York media. He had to stand in front of the New York media and tell the world, I'm sorry. For something I didn't really do it really, wrong. It wasn't really wrong, wrong, even though it was looked at wrong. And he said I, he, he said he took it. Yeah, he said to help my, my he had uh, he had uh, tendonitis in his elbow. And he said, yeah. I was taking it to heal my body. Yeah. And he said, once I found out, it's, hey, this is, people think I'm cheating. I'm not cheating. He said, he, he quit, but he was named in the Mitchell Report. Yep. And so he's like, oh, my gosh. So we had to chat about that. But it, with Mo, in fact, I took my son. We were down at um, down at Steinbrenner Field, and um, we, got, we had heard through some people that. Who's your baseball team, the Reds? Yeah, yeah, we have Cincinnati Reds. I mean, is that your team? Yeah, I, I was a Yankees guy for a long time. Okay. I, I like old traditional teams. I like the Cubs. Yeah. I like uh, the Yankees. I like the Reds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, if I don't really cheer if the Yankees were in it because I was a big Jeter guy too. Yeah. You know, I liked watching his career. And yeah. In fact, a great story about Jeter was uh, a friend of mine who's now passed. His name is Gene Bennett. He was a scout for the Reds. He lived real close to us. He was a, one of their best scouts ever. Recommended the Reds. I forget what year it was. Jeter's rookie year. Uh, Reds had the first pick in the, NFL, in the MLB draft. And this guy said, you need to get this guy named Jeter. And Gene actually called him and said, hey, the Reds are going to take you, blah, blah, blah. He goes, okay. And then when it came time for the draft, the pick, they didn't pick Jeter. And, uh, yes, the Reds saga is their story. <laughs> Did I say more? They passed on Jeter when they had first pick in the, in the MLB draft. And so, who did they get? Yeah, you know, who? But he, he didn't last long. Like two years, he was gone. I was gonna say the fact Nobody that you have to ask who he got. Exactly. <laughs> so I, when I was at the clubhouse, Gene was walking by, and I kind of fist bumped him. I said, "Hey, Gene Bennett says hi." He goes, "Oh my gosh, you know Gene?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Tell, oh, how's he doing?" I said, "Why well, he's not doing real well? His health, blah blah blah." He said, "Man, tell Gene." I said, "Hi." I said, I love that guy. That's cool. And so, yeah, that was my icebreak with, with Jeter. It was, hey, it's cool. G minute. So, so back to Mo. Yeah, back to Mo. Sorry. So we had heard that they like to go to P.F. Chang. Oh, I'd like to go to P.F. Chang. That's good. After, yeah, after workouts, spring training, they said Jeter comes by here a lot. And, uh, and uh, Bernie and those guys come by here yeah. a lot. And they said they have their little table. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take my son. We're going we're gonna to see if this is true. And so we go in there, and by golly, you know, they came in, and, and I didn't really interview Mo, but we had a chance to talk, you know, didn't really, because I'm not going to interview him during dinner. Of course. So we're like, Mo, I said, and the first thing I said to Mo was, hey, man, appreciate your faith. He goes, man, thank you. He said, it's the best thing. He said, I wouldn't be here without my faith. So, we, and it was like, hey, guys, I'm going to let you guys get to have dinner. And so we chatted for a few minutes about yeah. with Mo, didn't really interview, interviewing, yeah, 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 but yeah. we had a chat. Yeah. And, of course, Jeter was there and, 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 and Bernie and those guys. So it was a lot of fun. That was more of a let them enjoy, you know, talk to him for a second, get out of the way. So Mason and I, my son, he's yeah. 17 now, uh, we started seeing the Yankees play in every ballpark back in 2014. And I'd had it in my mind to do this, but we decided to start in 14 because that was Jeter's last year. It was like, we better get going because I want him to see Jeter. Yeah. And so what we did is we scheduled, I think we went to seven or eight different ballparks that first year because they played the NL Central. So they're right around Iowa. Okay. So we hit all those ballparks. 
in the AL Central, and I think we started in Boston because we said the, the first time we, we our, our first stadium on this tour has got to be Fenway. So we our first one was Boston. Then we went to New York the next day because they played in, at Yankee Stadium the next day, and then the rest of it was in the Midwest. And uh, and so we scheduled games where Jeter the, the teams gave gifts to Jeter you know, for his last game or his last series where they played. So we scheduled to try to be there whenever he was honored, and that was really cool. And so we're going to actually, we've been drawing this out, but we're going to finish this up this season. And then we want to write a book about the experience. Uh, want to challenge fathers to spend time with their kids, not to just make memories or have fun at baseball games or fishing or camping, whatever they do, but for the sake of passing along faith and values, to earn some influential capital that they can cash in on, t on teaching their kids about the Lord and helping them walk with Christ. And so we'll see how that all plays out. But, uh, but I was going somewhere with that. You have that moment too when it happens to you too. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's good to know. Yeah, <laughs> but, but anyway, that's, it's been a great experience for us. And um, what's been interesting is over time, this is where I was going, over time, the gloss or the shine of the Yankees, you know, it's like the first time, I remember the first time I walked into Yankee Stadium when I was in college, I almost cried. Like it was, this I, is amazing. Yeah, I know. And then now you're at all these games and it's like ho-hum. I remember Mason and I were just getting ready to leave for a trip out to L.A., to see the Yankees play at Dodger Stadium. Mm -hmm. Now, there are, there are Yankee fans who give their left arm to do that. Mm -hmm. But we've been to like 25 games already at all these other stadiums around the country. And it's like, I remember I was busy that week. Mason had some stuff going on. He had talked to his mom, he didn't talk to me. And she told me she, he's not really excited about going on this trip. And I, I said, I'm not really either. We ended up having a great time. Yeah, It was awesome. but. There's this certain like familiarity that just makes it not that special. And so you've probably experienced that as a sports writer where you're like the first time you walk into the clubhouse and talk to Larry Bird, did you say that was your first interview? My with first a big time my, guy? With a big time guy, yeah. And now it's just kind of like, oh, there's Jeter. Oh, there's whoever. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's the norm anymore. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's still fun though. Yeah. But I remember my first time I walked into the old Boston Garden. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when when because uh, I ended up going there, I wanted to get there before Bird retired. Yeah. Gosh, I wish I. Would it was have. a dump. Yeah. But when I walked in that floor and looked up at the banners, I'm like, "This is it. This is where it's all happened. You know, this is yeah. this is the holy mecca." And I saw the big cracks in the floor, and it smelled, uh -huh. you know, the old train station smell, and it wasn't a great place. But to me, it was like, "This is where, this is where basketball should be played. This is awesome." Yeah. So I, I yeah. So I remember my first time going to the old Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And that was an awesome Wrigley. Yeah. But yes, yeah. But so meeting some of these players now, yeah. My, I, I want to make sure that I know what I'm going to ask them. Yeah. I, I don't try to. I try to have an icebreaker, but I also got to get to the point because I could. They could leave at any time. Right. So I have to get my questions in then first. Right. And then that's their faith because I was talking to, talking to Adam Wainwright, and we were right in the middle of a discussion about his faith, and they said. Adam, you're needed up front. And, uh, I say, I, I got to go. Okay. So I was like, all right. So I learned, get what I need to get in first. Yeah, totally. Then we'll chit-chat. Curtis Granderson took like half hour with me. He was awesome to talk to. Believer? Oh, yeah. Curtis Granderson has a solid testimony. One of the funnest ones I've ever I share was with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I was with him when he was with Houston. Uh, 
with uh, with the Texans. They were in town to play the Bengals, and I knew he was a believer. I knew he has his testimony, but with the NFL, we can't get into after the game. And so, and when the players come in, they want to get the stuff off, shower, get out of there. So my time with the NFL players is more abrupt. So I got to get to the point. So he had a great game that day. DeAndre Hopkins had a, had a banner, not had a better game, and I knew everybody's going to talk to this dude. So I go in, the, I go in the locker room, and he's starting to get undressed. So I just walked up to him and said, "Hey, man, can you got a couple of minutes? I want to talk to you about this and your faith." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So he sits down, and he's still on his stuff. And then uh, we get about 30 seconds, 40 seconds into it. And all of a sudden, there's like cameras are going, you know, all the TV cameras turn on and all the lights. On him. Yeah, because they want to talk to him. about he had his, a big game. He had a great game. So these guys start asking, hey, hey uh, DeAndre, what, what about that third down catch? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and he stopped him. He goes, hey, hey, I'm talking to this gentleman right here about my faith. That's the most important thing to me right now. He says, when we're done, I'll answer your questions about the game. But right now, I'm talking about my faith. That's cool. Yeah, those guys didn't like me, by the way, at that, at that point, because yeah, they had they were <laughs> they had a deadline to meet, right. and I was holding them up, right, talking about their this faith stuff. So I thought that was awesome. That's you know? way cool. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, yeah, this is more important to me." You said something a second ago. You said one of the coolest experiences that I'll share. How do you discern? I've spent some time in politics and with yeah, different people that are kind of highish profile, and there is a responsibility, like behind closed doors. Yes. Uh, there's a responsibility of things that I've seen and heard to discern what I can't repeat and what I can share. How do you navigate that? Well, when you're in the clubhouse and, and I'm a, a member of the press, th- these these guys know everything they say. On the record. There's on the record. There's no such thing. If somebody says off the record, there's no such thing as off the record. But <laughs> right. they may say, hey, do you mind not sharing this? And I'll turn my recorder off. I'll say, okay, click. It's off. Yep. And so, they, okay. But most of them don't. Most of them know everything they say is somebody's recorded somewhere. But, I mean, even just personal interactions that you've had. Like, you know, discerning-wise, if you had mm-hmm. a really bad experience with a guy, like, you could blow that guy up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like but, I said, but you're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say their name. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll just say it's this person did this. I, I don't even want to say what team sometimes. Yeah. But So, yeah, I've, I've had those experiences. Yeah, I, I could say something negative, but maybe they had a bad day. Right. And I take that into consideration. Maybe I've had bad days. I wouldn't want to talk to a stranger about things. So I give them the benefit of the doubt. There's some. There's one. Athlete, a couple of athletes that, after about the fifth time, they're they're a jerk. Like this is how they are. This is how they are. And uh, and some, some well, well no names I will say, but uh, some a guy I look kind of looked not look up to but admired his play. I'm like this guy's a jerk. First yeah. class jerk. That's so kind of disappoints you a little bit, but most of the guys, I say, ninety five percent of them are, are really good people to talk to. I mean, I was talking to um, Ben Zobers of the Cubs then, and uh, great story, great testimony. He overcame a lot recently, but he was uh, on the phone. To, um, uh, he had a repairman coming to his house to do his, his washer dryer was on the blink, and he's like, "Man, I have problems like everybody else has problems." Yeah. And he's on the phone. Hey, what kind of, what time can you be there on such and such day? Well, it was kind of funny, you know. Yeah. I have that problem too. Of course, he can pay for several of them at once, but yeah. that's the other differences there. But my, what I find out about a lot of these guys is most of them have issues like you and me, mm-hmm. but a lot of them have resources to deal with them. But they have problems too. They have sick kids. Yeah. Um, they have kids with you know who are autistic and they have problems and special needs. I mean, Clint Hurdle's a real good friend of mine. Clint's daughter has a special need. So he talks a lot about that. Yeah. And we've done some book signings with Clint, but he's very open about his faith. And, and he'll, uh, his daughter has a, has, a rare, has a rare condition, but he, 
he has that problem that uh, he and his wife have to deal with when he's on the road. Mm-hmm. So they have problems too. Who would you say top three, four of people you've run into who you're like, this dude is legit? We talked about Mariano that way. Mariano, Vinny Ray, who was a linebacker with the Bengals. Like, I'm talking about legit faith-wise. Yeah. I'm like, saying, like, he talks the talk, and he walks the walk, and it just permeates who he is. Yeah. Uh, Vinny Ray's one of them. He's now the chaplain of the Bengals. I went in to talk to him. He had a really good career, short-lived career with, with the Bengals, but a good linebacker. And um, I was talking to him about, I said, hey, so what's your favorite verse? And he goes, oh, man, which one? And I was like, well, give me a couple of them. He just started quoting scripture without even looking it up impromptu, like seven or eight scriptures. I'm like, wow, <laughs> this this guy <laughs> and uh, and his teammates are like, yeah, preach of any you know, he's they were hearing they were over hearing him because he's very open about it. Yeah. So yeah, he whipped off like the Bible <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right yeah. to me without even looking it up. Another one was Brian Dozier. Right? I mentioned him yeah. earlier. Dozier yep. when we were up in Cleveland one time, he he said, man, I love to talk about the Lord. I love to talk about Jesus. And so I forget what teammate it was. One dude was coming by, and he said he yelled at him. He goes, hey. What do I like to do? And the guy says, we know, man. You tell us about Jesus all the time. We know. I get you. <laughs> but he was jokingly, but he validated. He's got that reputation. Oh, he's got, yeah. He, you, know, you want to know where he stands? You're going to, he's going to tell you. Yep. But he doesn't do it in a way that you want to say, oh, my gosh, here he comes again. But he's so positive. Totally. Um, I, was ta- I, I, I got sidetracked in yeah. my mind a second ago. But um, I was talking about Mason and I and, and that uh, Dodgers trip. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of, we were so familiar with going on the road and like, oh, this is a big deal. One of the benefits of that and one of the benefits of, of what you're doing, being exposed to all this, if people look at that from the outside and they go, man, I would, that, that would be an amazing job or mm-hmm. that would be an amazing experience. I just want to do that. I love that my son is able to learn that even going to Yankees games and traveling around the country, it really, at the end of the day, it gets kind of old. You know what I mean? Like I understand. It, it becomes, now we love it. We're going to keep doing it hopefully for the rest of our lives, right? Mm. But it's like, if I ever thought that jet-setting to go watch baseball was going to be the thing that fulfilled me, it's not. Mm. In your case, if I ever thought that having access to these big-time guys was going to be something that, like, transcendently was meaningful, it just isn't. Right. Right? And so, like, like, your purpose and your meaning has to come from something that is transcendent, Mm. uh, that is... uh, permanent that is eternal i.e jesus christ the word of god and what made me another thing i thought about that relates to this is after tom brady who by the way i I just got on the tom brady bandwagon like last year Mm. because when he won it at 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 the buccaneers i was already kind of impressed with him you're a michigan guy you probably hate or ohio state guy yeah he's all right but but after i saw him win there i was like okay this guy's legit and and how fortunate we are to be able to watch this in our day. Yeah. And he's like a year younger than me and he's still tearing it up. So that makes me feel like, yeah. oh, I still might have something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but but uh, after just a few Super Bowl rings that he won, I saw an interview on like 60 Minutes or ABC, I don't know what, where Tom Brady basically said he had basically achieved beyond what he'd ever dreamed with all these success and Super Bowl rings. And... And he basically said there has to be something more. Right, I said. Do you, do you, do you ever see that clip of Tom Brady? I, yeah, I, I have seen that. And, and he's basically like, I'm at the top of the world, and it's not that satisfying. Right. Do you see that 
um, you know, being in clubhouses and being, these guys are living at the top of the world. Right. I mean, every little kid wants to be an NFL player. I know. And, and these guys have done it, yet some of them are still unfulfilled. And we know why. But, mm-hmm. I mean, have you seen that played out? Yeah, and, and I, I, have a, I did an interview uh, with Tom, obviously, because he he's not a believer, and, and he'll tell you that. He's, he's, not, uh, he's a classy guy, yep. but I've, I've, I've talked to him. Uh, I've, I've met Tom and, and talked to him, not interview-style-wise, but I do see that. It's sad because they could have it. They could, have, they could be fulfilled, kind of like a, my story when I was like, everybody else is happy, and I'm not. Why are I happy? Yeah. And so Tom, and I'm going to say Tom, I, I, I'm not judging him at all. Of course. I, I admire his ability and respect him. And, and ultimately, we don't know where exactly, his Exactly, we don't know, but he's made some comments that would lead you to believe. Yeah, but anyway, so they're not there because you know, the people like that may not they may not have Christ in their life. So if they, you know, they don't have to be making $35 million a year to be fulfilled. You know, obviously they're not fulfilled at this point. There's something else to be fulfilled them, and that's only Christ. Only Christ will fulfill you. You could you'd be making 45 bucks uh, a year and and be fulfilled. Right. Yeah. yeah kind of like when, when I was a sports writer. Financially, I wasn't fulfilled. I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't raise my kids, so I had to go, go into other things. But that's why I stayed into it because I enjoy it. It does. It is very r- fulfilling professionally. To be able to go to the Super Bowl and cover the Bengals, that was fun. Yeah, it's fun, not fulfilling. Fun. Yeah. That's, that's the difference. Coaching basketball. There's a great quote from Tony Bennett, the coach of Virginia, who's a believer, mm-hmm. strong believer. Um, and the setup to the quote is, you know, they were the first 16 seed in the history, the first one seed in the history of the NCAA tournament to get beat by a 16 seed. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of years ago, remember that. Virginia got beat. Yes, I do remember that. And then they came back the next year yeah. as a one seed and won it all. Yeah. And so he goes from kind of the low of the low mm-hmm. to the high of the high. And in his post-game press conference, they asked him, you know, is this, what, where does this rank, you know, in terms of life moments? And he said, um, I'm going to quote my dad because his dad, Dick Bennett, was a coach at Wisconsin. And he took his team to the final four and he said i was in the press conference when my dad was asked the question you know is this the greatest achievement or is this as good as it gets and dick bennett basically said well from a euphoria standpoint yes i mean this is fun he said but there's other things more important faith family etc etc and then he said dick bennett said this and tony bennett said i've hung on to this quote from my dad from back then and i'm going to share it with you now we have it on our locker room in our in our school it says because i know what truly matters it enables me to enjoy what seems to matter like this so that made me think of when you say it's fun but not fulfilling that's what they're talking about right because i know what truly matters because i know that basketball even winning the ncaa championship uh doesn't truly matter but because i know christ who does truly matter it frees me up to actually enjoy have fun with what seems to matter like this. Isn't that good stuff? Yeah, it's great. And that reminded me of what, uh, a, a, a chat I had with Albert Pujols up in Cleveland. Uh, we went through all of the things, his beliefs and his faith, and it's a good, great testimony. And he, he's, he's an ambassador. He uses, he said the diamond, the baseball diamond is his pulpit. Yeah. And that he, if he doesn't know the player who comes to first base, because he's a first baseman, obviously, right. he asked, he said he will ask them. He said, What's your what's your purpose in life? What's what's life mean to you? I love it. 
And he said, that's his chance. He said, I may never see this guy again. So he witnesses to them. We asked him, what's the most, he, no, he says, what's the most important thing to you in life right now? And some will say, yeah, my family, blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, you know, what's the most important thing to you? He says, my, you know, God's the most important thing. Christ's the most important thing to me. So he gets to share the gospel there on first base. And he has, so cool. he has Philippians 4.12 on his, on his spikes, on his cleats and stuff. But so, yeah, so I think if, if a guy like that would ask me, what's the most important thing to me? I, it would get my attention because he's a big guy. Totally. That's, yeah, that's good stuff. We had a great story with him was when I went in to interview him up in Cleveland. It was right in the 600 chase. So he's kind of hounded by the press a lot. You know? Yeah, of course. So when I went over to him, he was playing this little golf game, a uh, little, little video golf game, he and Mike Trout. So like I kinda, on his phone or something? Huh? On his phone? No, they have these little games in the clubhouses. Oh, yeah, yeah. The clubhouses are like palaces, all right? Yeah. And so I go in there, and he's playing, him and Trout are playing this little golf game, and I kind of mosey over to him. I'm about 15 feet, 10 feet away from him. And I'm watching him play this game. And he sees me in the corner of his eye and he looks over at me. And he, he, he's an intimidating looking guy. Yeah. Big guy. And he looks at me and he says, can I help you? Basically saying, get out of here. And I said, yeah, I just want to talk to you about, you know, I just want to talk to you for, for a minute. And he goes, about what? Who all says this? Yeah, about what? And I just, because, you know, he again, he's hounded about the 600 chase. And I said, I'd like to talk to you about your faith. Oh, Okay, great. He goes, let me finish up the game and I'll be right over. <laughs> so we talked to him. You know, he was, it was, that was his way of getting rid of the, the, the nuisance. Yes. Of, yeah, when are you going to hear 600 home? So he was like, you know, I don't want to ask this question again. But, yeah, I love talking about my faith. So <laughs> he was kind of weeding me out there. So, uh, so we had a great talk. And he says, I use a diamond. That's, that's, my, that's my pulpit. That's my church. Yeah. So. Peyton Manning was recently in Cedar Falls, Iowa. That's where we live, Northeast Iowa, home of University of Northern Iowa. He was there to film an episode or a part of an episode of Peyton's Place with Kurt Warner, okay. who went to school at UNI. You know the movie that just yeah, came out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is just a little bit ago, and a uh, week or maybe three weeks ago. And somebody runs into him at one of the restaurants downtown the night before they were gonna do this. This was all under the radar. Hy-Vee, the store where Kurt Warner used to work and stock yeah. shelves, they didn't announce it, none of this stuff. Well, somebody who's somewhat high profile in town runs into him at this restaurant, gets a picture, it's on Facebook, and then it just blows up. And it's like at Hy-Vee, there's just impromptu, like 300 dudes that just show up the next day with jerseys to be signed footballs. They had nothing scheduled, no signings. Yeah. And I just thought that's the most recent reminder to me of – I don't know how more of these guys aren't annoyed the way that you described Albert Pujols because you cannot go out. And, and a lot of people think, oh, that would be way cool to be famous and popular. Heck with that crap. No. A lot, it, a lot, of, them, a lot of them make it known they don't like it. Um, a, one guy who did like it, and, and, and it's a great story, and his old Yankees guy, too, Paul O'Neill. Oh, the, uh, the warrior. Great player. Just a great player. The Reds won five rings total. You know. So... We were at this little league tournament in uh, Hillsboro, Ohio, and I saw him. He was with his nephew or something. Was He was at the game. I said, you know, that's Paul O'Neill over there. And my sons knew him from the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, well, got, he's done more than that, you know? <laughs> and so we go over to him, and I said, hey, Mr. O'Neill, my sons had the ball. Hey, can they? I don't do autographs, but they, they want to want. And so he signed autographs. And, and so I look back about 20 minutes later, and he's swarmed with people, right? Uh, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like you started it. And so I felt, you know, so I kind of moseyed my way over a little later. I kind of popped my head in the dugout because he had moved in the dugout by then. 
And I said, uh, hey, man, sorry about that. He goes, you know what? He goes, there's going to be a day when nobody wants my autograph. It's okay. That's pretty cool perspective. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this guy's got his head on right. I'm just saying this. I, he's on the radio or on TV for the Yankees, and if I ran into him, I'd still want his autograph. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and as, a, as, a, as a sports writer, you know, I, I – I, I got to watch that. I, I'll do it for my, some of my kids. Like when I interviewed Clayton Kershaw, they wanted him to sign some pictures. So I, I do it. But I don't really do it for me because I can lose my credentials if, oh, I'm, totally. if I'm doing that. But sometimes I'll, I'll get their permission. Hey, my son wants this. Like when I interviewed Tim Tebow, I took some books. Yeah. And I said, man, sure. What's, this, what's your wife's name? What's your son's name? And you know, kind of stuff like that. And, um, but yeah, Kershaw was great. But some of these guys, you know, they really, some of them appreciate it. But some of them just, eh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you're bothering them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so. Well, I'll tell you, Dell, this has been great. Yeah, been I could blast. talk all day long about this stuff. I don't know that our audience wants to listen to it all day long. But uh, Dell, Dell Didway, D-U-D-U-I-T. Yeah. If you were to recommend, like, where can people find your stuff? You've got a bunch of different stuff. Typically, the t- typical Amazon. You go on Amazon. You go on, you go on, on my website, DellDidway.com, uh, Amazon. Uh, where books are sold, you can get them in Barnes and & Nobles. And if you things were to like make that. your best pitch, like, you're going to leave with the best thing you got. What If you were to say to somebody, this is the book that I'm most proud of, this is the thing that I've written that I'm most proud of, the Sports Spectrum article, whatever, what would you say, like, oh, go check this one out? Books, book wise, yeah, yours. Um, that's a great. I've never been asked that question. I would say my, my I got devotions one, the first volume. There's two out, out there. Uh, it just kind of opened the door for everything. God opened the door through that book. Um, it's some great interviews with you know, with some great players and their faith. And I became friends with some people through that book, like Clint Hurdle and Brian Dozier and guys like that. So I can still reach out to them and, and, cool. and uh, chat with them. But that's probably my favorite one. Um, my other favorite, my actual one, is actually called Bengal Believer. Not because I'm a Bengals fan or I cover the Bengals. I just like the way that book flowed and the, the message just sent out. Like the first chapter, if you remember when Sam Weiss grabbed the, the microphone because uh, people were throwing uh, yes. yeah, snow and stuff at the Bills. And so he grabs the microphone. Back then, the PA system was on the was on the field. Yeah. He storms over there and grabs that microphone. And Sam Weiss had a bellowing voice. And he says, well, the, ne- you know, if the next person sees anybody throw anything on the field, get him out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. And the place erupted, right? I was like, yeah. I hate the Browns. <laughs> and so th- that's the first chapter of my book. I really have that moment. So it's like, what's your legacy? Were you there? No, I was not there, but I remember watching it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so what he said was his legacy. His, they loved him as a coach, but yeah. that cemented his leg. He he was defending his team. Yes. To everybody. So I challenge the reader: What's your legacy going to be? What are you going? What are you going to say that somebody's going to remember? You, you want to make something a, a stupid comment that people? Oh yeah, he said that. Or are you going to say something profound or just be honest with people? So what is it? What are you, what are you going to say that people will say? Hey, I remember when he said that to me. Yes. So. That's why awesome. I challenge the reader. Dell, thanks for your time. This has been awesome. It's been a blast. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good one. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. 
In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.